0: If you are listening to this episode as it comes out in the first week of March 2022, I think it's fair to say it's been a difficult week, right? And I didn't feel like I could just dive into this episode without acknowledging the appalling situation in Ukraine and carrying on as if everything is tickety-boo when it's very much not and I know that anxiety levels for many are running really high. And in addition, For people who keep up with the eco-news, a new IPCC report came out at the start of this week from what's called Working Group 2, specifically looking at the impacts of climate change, at adaptation and at vulnerability, and that makes for pretty grim reading. There's a lot going on, a lot of heavy stuff, and I'm afraid I don't have any answers or nice, easy ways for us all to feel better the cliches about looking after yourself, taking time away from the news and from screens, making sure you get outside and into some green spaces if you can, are cliches, but that's because they're true, so don't feel bad about not being glued to your screen or following every single update if it's all proving a bit too much for you. It is for many. So. I wish I had a clever and uh, smooth way to segue from all of that into today's episode, but uh, I don't. I hope though that the podcast is a little bit of light relief. I try as much as possible to focus on solutions, to have guests on who are doing some really positive stuff that hopefully might inspire us all to have a go at a few different things And today's episode is absolutely no exception when it comes to a spot of inspiration. So we've had a few episodes recently along the theme of climate education, uh, starting last year, I think, with Lee Ray Davies talking about the Eco Schools programme. And then more recently, we've had Paul Turner from the Ministry of Eco Education chatting about their sustainability curriculum. And more, most recently, Paula Malone sharing some of the brilliant schemes that she's involved with and her tips for helping us as adults to nudge schools in a greener direction. But what we haven't done is heard from any of the young people currently in our education system, which is where today's episode with the UK Student Sustainability Network, UKSSN for short, comes in. Now, the UK SSN, I don't know if that's any, it obviously is shorter than saying UK Student Sustainability Network, but (laughs) it still feels like a bit of a mouthful. The UK SSN was established in spring 21 as an umbrella organisation for lots of regional student sustainability networks that have been springing up around the country. And it acts as a way for young people to connect with uh, peers, to share ideas and resources, and to collaborate on local, national and international initiatives. As you'll hear, Uh, a group of them went up to COP26, which sounds like just the most amazing experience, and really importantly, helps them to develop personal, social and workplace skills as well. In this episode, I'm chatting to Jess Tipton, who is the Head of Youth Networks at the charity Global Action Plan who host and support the network, along with four amazing young people from four different regional groups around the UK. I am absolutely in awe of most of my guests and the brilliant stuff that they are doing, but these students absolutely blew me away. At the same age, I think I was totally immersed in my own very inward-focused bubble. I was largely oblivious to politics and to world events, with one of my main concerns being making sure I was sat in front of the TV by 5.10pm for my home and away neighbors, double bill. Now, I'm sure there were far more worldwise and proactive young people around in the 90s, but I certainly wasn't one of them. And I'm simultaneously so impressed at the maturity and the passion and the eloquence of the students in this episode, and saddened that they're in this position, facing the biggest crisis humanity has ever experienced, while so many of the older generations carry on regardless. So a massive thank you to each of the young people in this episode who gave up their time when they could have been studying or watching old reruns of Home and Away instead of chatting to me. And also thanks to Jess for bringing them all together and for her wonderful insights. Enjoy this episode as ever. Please do leave a rating and a review. Let me know your thoughts on this episode. Give a big shout out to these young people if you enjoy it and you think they're, um, you know, you're inspired and um. Astounded is the wrong word, but you know, if you're in awe of them as much as I am, then please do give them a shout out and a thank you. Um, Find out if you've got a local student sustainability network uh, near you. Um, You know, if that's something that you could get involved with, with supporting young people or if you know of any young people who you think would benefit from um, being part of this kind of network, then obviously please do hook them up. Um, so I will leave you to listen and to enjoy, and I will catch you next time. Take care. Hello, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is super exciting. We've got five guests, which I am quite nervous about. <laughs> it will either be complete chaos or it will just be seamlessly wonderful. So we'll see how we get on. Let's kick off by doing a round of intros. Um, Jess, do you mind starting off? Uh, just let us know who you are, uh, and what you do.
1: Of course, yeah. So, uh, great to be here. Um, I've been listening to the podcast and uh, really impressed. So, we're really pleased to be part of this. So, I'm Jess Tipton. So, I was a boring old uh, school teacher, Modern Languages, until uh, the summer. Um, I've also previously worked at Department for Environment and Research Russian Climate Change. And I founded the London Schools Eco Network a few years ago, and that evolved into the UK School Sustainability Network um, that I run out of Global Action Plan as head of Youth networks. So that's a bit of a lot, isn't it? I think I should uh, leave it there.
0: Wow. That's I mean, yeah, there's there's loads I want to talk to you about there. So you had a job researching climate science and then you went and became a modern languages teacher, which doesn't seem massively connected, I have to say.
1: No. I, well, I joined the civil service and nice. was I was quite young. And I actually put in the box where you had to say, what were you most sort of concerned or, you know, about? Yeah. And I actually put, even at that point, climate change, which, because I'd done my master's on Russia and climate change, because wow. I'm primarily a linguist. So I was looking at Russia and climate change. And so I have been teaching Russian and French. I'm a jack of all trains. I just go back and forth between different things. But it's, it's, it's the planet right now. When that's sorted, when that's done, I might go back to teaching languages.
0: Well, give it a year or two, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and just to, just to quickly pick up on um, Global Action Plan, I think we've had, um, we had Ollie from Global Action Plan hmm. on, um, which I was massively overexcited about because I'm a big Sustainable fan and he does the Sustainable podcast, doesn't he? Yes. So, so you now have a position with them that is around bringing all these student networks or sort of growing these student sustainability networks. Is that right?
1: Yes yeah, so I started it alongside teaching um which there's a lot of teachers trying to fit this mm. in on the side which we'll maybe come back to and you know as these networks I was working on um grew and running an eco committee it, it all you know it was the capacity was running yeah, yeah, out yeah. so global action plan uh, this sort of really fits with their ethos and their mm. aims so they were they were keen to you know help develop the networks by Um, helping me to do it
0: and this so that's now your sort of full-time job and um there's funding well as funding as there ever is in place I guess with charities it always seems to be a a sort of how long is a piece of string thing with funding
1: yes um I am still um doing a little bit of school teaching as well um I'm teaching actually sustainability and environmental stuff oh amazing yeah but a combination Brilliant. Um, And we're joined by four
0: brilliant young people who uh, a massive thank you to because it's about 10 past eight at night now and they've already had a Zoom for their um, UK Schools Sustainability Network committee meeting earlier on today, as well as the day at school. So thank you all for for giving up time. Um, So, Archie, do you want to kick us off by giving us a little intro to you?
2: I'm Archie. I'm from Somerset and I'm in year 10. So, I run our climate club in our school. Which we are all about litter and just trying to be as clean as we
0: can. Okay, brilliant. So you're here tonight representing the sort of Somerset network. How yeah. many? Do you? This is putting you on the spot a bit. Do you know how many schools there are from Somerset in your network? No,
2: nope, not a clue.
0: And <laughs> they're quite. A, does it feel like there's a few people involved yeah. locally?
2: Yeah, there's definitely quite a few. Brilliant.
0: And um, are you someone who sort of kickstarted this in your school, or was it already up and running? when you got
2: there jack who runs sunset climate justice network he originally was at my school and he set up what i now run yeah and i got involved because i noticed some changes around school and i wanted to know what it was all about okay so yeah i sort of took on from there
0: amazing and are there how many how active are is sort of generally are the kids in your school is it quite
2: um... Uh, yeah we're always thinking of new ideas of what we can do in our school so there's just loads of ideas buzzing around especially the year sevens oh really yeah they're also excited for our plans
0: yeah and I was I was chatting to you actually because you were a bit early on the call and saying you know how do you find fitting all this in around your schoolwork? And and you had a one-word answer for me can you remember what it was no I think it was busy <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah um brilliant thank you um Maya how about you
3: um, hi, so yeah, I'm Maya from representing the Hampshire Network and I'm in year 11. Um, so when I, when we um, or, uh, like, were interviewed for our prefect roles at the end of year 10, I was offered eco ambassador for my school. So I helped to run the eco committee and then the teacher said, why don't you get involved in the Hampshire SSN and I thought oh yeah that sounds really cool mm. and then I got the chance to represent Hampshire in the UK SSN and I was really excited so of course I said yes um, and so the Hampshire SSN is quite a relatively new network so we've only had one meeting but it's really great to be able to collaborate with more schools so that we can spread our ideas even further.
0: Yeah definitely and and again in your school is, is your eco committee quite active and are there a lot of um students wanting to get involved.
3: Yeah, well actually interesting, there's uh Lee, there's quite a disparity between the upper school and the lower school. Mm. So um I'm one of the few people from upper school, which is something we're trying hard to change because we need to get everybody on board if yeah. we want to make a bigger difference. But luckily our principal is really engaged in what we're doing. So I've got some meetings coming up with him to talk about our solar panel project and other projects
0: amazing right I want to hear more about all of these do you have any idea of why that is that disparity because I've noticed that as well actually in um my youngest school um they had a green team meeting and I went along and there were quite a few quite a lot of year sevens um a few year eights a couple of year nines and then only like you know two or three from from the upper school like I mean I'm assuming obviously there's a um you know work school work related pressure and that kind of thing but does it I don't I don't know does it become less cool I make myself really old saying sound really old saying that but as you get older
3: I think it definitely does I think going to clubs um mm. becomes a lot less cool which I don't really understand um but also people are really busy yeah but I don't I don't know it's quite interesting because we we haven't had anyone from the year 10s come and that's um since like when they were in year 7 as well so Is some some sort problem with that year group? (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: that's
0: really interesting. And tell us, really. Oh, actually, no, we'll come back and we'll ask everybody about their schools' projects. But I really want to hear about your solar schools projects. But I'll come back to you in just a minute for that. And Cammy, how about you?
4: Yeah, so I'm Cammy in Year 11 from the London Schools Eco Network. I joined last year in lockdown, and I've been focusing mostly on creating like art with sustainable like messages. writing and like researching for um the school newsletter which I started and planning events in school um like clothes sales and inviting in um speakers for career talks which is really exciting
0: yeah and the London network it sounds like that was possibly the first one to be founded that that just kicked off so is that quite a big network now Cammy?
4: Yes I just checked actually and there are are 111 participants I don't know exactly how many schools but yeah
0: wow that's awesome and and I yeah when you start getting to those numbers and as Maya was saying that there's sort of being able to almost cross-pollinate with different ideas and chat to each other about what's worked and what hasn't that must be must be really useful I would think
4: definitely and especially being busy like for example it's fast fashion free February and as like lots of people have a lot on like there are resources that are shared from oh, amazing last year so we can use them without having to spend hours making them ourselves yeah
0: brilliant thank you um
4: and last but not least will how about you
5: hello uh, so i'm will um i'm from the midlands and i went to cop um, along with lots of the other uh ukssn delegates amazing and while i was there i focused mainly on kind of climate education and climate anxiety and how to address the the ongoing concerns and the massive Mm. fear and dread young people had um, about climate change and I've also been campaigning quite a lot to get climate education to be a compulsory element of the curriculum Mm. and I managed to achieve uh, within my own school getting Climate education is part of the um, social development curriculum. So what you do in um, some schools, call it like PSHE. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Which is a really good step, but I've been aiming personally to try and get that in lots and lots of schools. And while we were at COP, we had a stand in the green zone talking about how we can integrate climate change into curriculums and help address climate anxiety for young people.
0: Amazing. So um, while I'm talking to you, Will, I mean, this might sound like a really obvious question, But why is sustainability education important?
5: Well, I think fundamentally, if you don't know about a problem, you're not going to want to fix it. Mm. I think climate change is a really, really big problem. And to a certain extent, it it creates a lot of fear. It creates a lot of dread. It kind of feels like if we don't act, it's it's fallen upon our generation to suddenly fix the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there is a sense that, with education, we can at least start to understand the problems so we can address them. If we don't have education, we can't bridge that gap between the fear and the dread and actually yeah. starting to try and address the problem. It, otherwise, we're just stuck in a cycle of not acting because we're afraid that our acting won't be good enough.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's a brilliant way of putting it. And I think one of the things that I've come across in in sort of talking to um, various people at my kids' schools, where there isn't a huge amount going on, is this idea that I keep getting um, sort of pushed back at me from um, sort of heads and things like that. Is this this has to be student? Uh, this has to come from the students, and and I absolutely get that, but I also feel like it's a bit of a chicken and an egg scenario, isn't it? Because if the leadership team or the staff aren't almost facilitating the conversation, giving the students permission to be talking about this, raising it, it's just that kind of. Um, oh, well, no one else is talking about it, so it must be okay. so I'm not going to talk about it and no one else is worried about it, so I don't want to stick my head up up above the parapet. And actually saying, no, we'll leave it to the students, that takes a huge amount of courage, I think, for one student to lift, put their hand up and say, oh, gosh, you know, um, shouldn't we be doing something about this? Uh, Will, did you, how did you find sort of, you know, it sounds like you've had some really proactive discussions with your um, sort of head and things like that. I mean, how did that all come about?
5: Well, I think so. Originally, there was quite a big fear. So, we didn't really have any kind of climate stuff Mm. or groups or meetings or anything. Um, And kind of around the time of the kind of climate strike thing, when in sort of 2017, 2018, when people's youth led movements started to grow in popularity and awareness, there was a kind of fear that if you kind of duck your head up, you would kind of get told off for rebelling. Mm. But we kind of found that if you went about it in the right way and you asked nicely and you asked the right people, you could kind of get a discussion. And then once mm-hmm. you got a discussion going, you could kind of really build on it. And so we did kind of, we, we wrote a really nice letter to our senior management team asking how they would respond if we went on strike. We right. They yeah. said, what would you do if we did? And they were like, please don't, but, and they kind of sat down with us and they talked to us and they let us help with this um new curriculum for our life education they wow. helped us sit down and pretty much write that curriculum with yeah. them and then they started giving us assemblies and then we got the eco group founded and so kind of once you kind of if if you talk and um, not with rebellion but with respect you mm, kind of found that tip. they were willing to work with us and we don't agree on everything yes. by anything but we do find that it's better
0: find that common ground yeah though it sounds like there were you saying we was there a group of you that was sort of interested in going on the climate strikes
5: it was quite a sizable number it, once you kind of ask people directly yes you, you get much more kind of people going well I do care about climate change a little yes. bit um I think you it's quite hard to get people to come forward and kind of get in the way and rebel but if if you're just looking for people who care yeah then you you, you can find them quite easily
0: that's brilliant. And and I think it just kind of shows those ripple effects, doesn't it? Of something like, I mean, obviously the, the climate strikes, we we talk about, you know, just one person like Greta starting as just one person doing that, but then almost the, the catalyst or the hook that that's given you guys to be able to go to um, members of staff and senior management and things to be able to, to kind of use that as a hook to start these conversations. And now you've got this eco-committee and you've changed the curriculum and you're a part of the network and things like that. So I think it's just absolutely phenomenal. So um, I'm so absolutely in awe of, of what you guys are doing. And I was thinking about this before coming on and thinking, God, when I was your age, all I was worried about was, you know, getting the, and this will just really age me, this reference, and you probably won't get it at all, but getting back home in time, you know, to watch Neighbours and, um, you know, doing my homework and things. But on the other flip side of that, is there any anger from you guys that you're having to take this on because you shouldn't be do you know like this shouldn't be something that you're having to deal with at 15 16 17 years of age and um, Cammy, you're smiling is there something you want to come in on with that
4: no i just think that's a really interesting question because i find a lot of people that i've talked to are kind of really enthusiastic about kind of taking lead on issues and and if it wasn't for this um I feel like there would be less of a conversation about um, kind of older generations letting us like lead projects in general. And I think that's a really important thing that should happen anyway. Like no matter if there are like really big, important issues in the world, it's really important for young people to be able to Mm. like spread their ideas and like be listened to properly rather than ideas just being imposed on them.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point, actually. And I hadn't thought of it like that. The idea that this is probably one of the first issues that I've been really aware of that the youth voice have been involved and have been listened to. And as you said, not just been kind of dictated to and things. And so I guess that that kind of spreads out. And now we're listening to young people so much more in terms of lots of other social issues and justice issues and those kinds of things as well. So I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. So in that way. So that's um, that's really interesting. Um, how does everybody else feel about the fact that you're kind of in this position and and having having to do this Maya have you had any thoughts on that
3: well it definitely does make you a lot more busy you have to dedicate your time to lots of other things other than just homework but I think it makes you a bit more of a well-rounded person Mm. if you take if you take on these actions and you're interested in a particular thing and so that gains life experience definitely like doing this yeah
0: I was I was thinking that as well. Like, I think I was I was probably in my 30s the first time I went to a meeting and realized someone has to chair it and someone has to take minutes. And you've always been doing that, haven't you, in all your meetings and that kind of thing, which is just absolutely, as you say, that kind of life experience. Archie, anything you want to come in on that in terms of sort of feeling any kind of weight of responsibility, I guess, or um, frustrations or anything?
2: Yeah, there is quite a lot of responsibility sort of hanging over your shoulders. So mm. Sometimes a lot of people will be looking at, looking up to you of how they can improve.
4: Yeah.
2: And then sometimes you're like, like I usually ride my bike to school. Mm-hmm. But and sometimes I'm like, I'm too tired to. Yeah. But then where I live, there's pretty much, everyone lives in the same area and goes the same way to school. Yeah. So you do always have that sort of responsibility and everyone's watching you of what you're doing. And if... If you were to say go in a car, everyone's like, well, why is he going in the car? He's meant to be saving yes. the environment, if you see what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I hate to say that doesn't go away as, as you grow up as well. There's this whole um, and that's why, you know, the podcast and everything I do is this idea of sustainable ish. So this idea that we can do it and we can do it imperfectly. And I think um, we need to be really careful of that kind of, you know, almost putting sort of building people up almost so we can knock them down Do you know like, oh they're the green one over there how you know oh they shouldn't possibly be going in the car or oh look I mean I have people sort of cross the road with a plastic bag because they don't want you know and I'm, I'm not going to shout at you because you've got a plastic bag um you know it's that kind of thing isn't it and so um yeah I absolutely um see where you're coming from with that totally Um, really interested to know Archie, you touched on this, sort of how you all got involved. And I think you said you saw some other things happening around the school. But is this something that your family are sort of involved in or are your parents slightly amused at what you're doing? How does it work with you, Archie?
2: At first, I got it from school. Mm. And then I've bought it home and we've been using less waste and recycling more. Mm. And, like, we're getting an electric car at some point.
0: Amazing.
2: To try and be as helpful as we can.
0: Yeah,
2: and like yeah. we're we're constantly commuting to Bristol for work. Right. With an electric car, it will be easier to travel. Yeah. yeah. And then it's cheaper, and then we're not using petrol, so it's a win-win situation.
0: Definitely. And have your parents been sort of encouraging or? I think sometimes, you know, whether, you know, if your parents are busy and, and they've got lots going on and then suddenly you're coming home and going, well, we shouldn't be doing this and we shouldn't be doing that. And I think it's a really positive thing, this kind of positive pester power that young people can have with their parents. But have they have they got exasperated with you at any point? or so have they been quite good?
2: They've been all right. Sometimes they they say I'm getting a bit annoying. So, so, so I just if they go, if they say just put all of this random stuff in the recycling, I'm like, what's this? This can go in- amazing. In- Ever. Oh.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Um Will, how about you? Were you are you sort of from a particularly environmental background or not?
5: Um, I wouldn't really say so, but I think my parents are very, very supportive of what mm. I do. I don't I not think there's a problem, but I think they do get annoyed sometimes about my kind of pedantic things. And then sometimes when I leave my bedroom light on when I go to school, they're just like hypocrite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's probably it's probably quite an interesting role with vessel because I think a lot of Certainly, a lot of people in my audience are, are saying to me, "How can I get my kids on board?" and "How can I, you know, get them to put the right things in the recycling bins?" And you guys have got the the other the other side of that, haven't you? And um, Cammy, how about how about your background?
4: Yeah, I'd say my parents are very aware of issues, and my dad has been a vegan for over twenty years. So wow. that was quite inspirational because he was always ta- like, from when I was young, he was always talking about things like just small things like not using a dishwasher or like not tumble drying clothes mm. and just small things like that so I think that really helped me um and then recently yeah I've been <laughs> knacking my parents just like for a lot of things but I feel like now I I kind of understand more that um the kind of how hard it is and also how expensive a lot of mm. things are like for example like over the years I've like gone to a zero waste shop to buy like nuts and things Mm. and just and like ordering zero waste food deliveries and Mm. just how expensive that has that has been and I feel like for young people like obviously encouraging parents to do things is really good but at the same time if you're not the one paying for it yes yes. yeah there's a limit to how much you can do um and especially people um who don't have as much money it's Mm. definitely important not to not to blame people for um not doing everything yeah um, because it's just not possible
0: yeah definitely um and Maya your your parents are they supportive
3: oh yeah definitely um so my dad actually runs an eco committee at his school oh amazing Um, yeah so we can um feed um into each other's ideas which is really cool oh that's great yeah so they are really supportive and but my mum definitely comes in as an approach where she's like well I'm, I'm busy so how am I going to do this mm. um, and also like the cost of organic food but sometimes she surprises me and she's like well we shouldn't buy this because it's got lots of plastic on it mm. and then so it's really great that she does agree.
0: Yeah so tell us about your solar project now because that sounds amazing.
3: Yes, yeah, so we, are, it's a bit off in the air at the moment, but we're partnering with a company to um, get solar panels for our school. And I think they rent the roof space mm-hmm. and then we buy the energy from the solar panels and then any excess energy can be sold on. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so that would be really great.
0: And how did that come about? Is that something that the sort of eco-committee... Um, had the idea for or is where did that come from
3: uh yeah I think the eco committee did um and then we discussed it with our senior leadership team and the principal of my school is really um, engaged in these type of stuff we Mm. recently got led lights and he is really proud of them um so it's great and yeah I'm having a meeting with him about it soon
0: oh amazing I mean that will make I always think it's such a no brainer for schools to have solar panels on them because you're there when the sun's shining and when you're going to be needing to to using all that energy. I did an interview with a guy from Brighton who runs Brighton Energy Cooperative. And that's what they're doing is they're putting solar panels on schools and publicly owned buildings and privately owned buildings and things. And it just seems. And there was. um uh Jess, you might remember this. There was a solar schools project, I think, wasn't there, quite a few years ago now that was sort of helping schools yeah. to crowdfund to get solar panels yes. on them
1: It's solar for schools, I mm. think. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few things going on. And there's also, you know, like crowdfunding mm. projects as well. And there was one um in Hammersmith for a community centre. And I think they got way over their target wow. yeah. like from everybody chipping in. And now they're up there and and they're making money from them as well
0: yeah yeah exactly it does just seem because um and you get cheaper energy bills and all that sort of thing as well it seems um seems a real no-brainer and um, cami what's some of the favorite your favorite projects that your school either has done or are doing
4: well the most recent one is that um this week the like leader of the sustainability committee got in proper recycling bins <laughs> as well as general waste in the classrooms and this has been an issue that um has been going on for i think five years and it's just really surprising I think when you start engaging with like change in schools like mm. how long something's take and yeah. how how many issues there are like that seem really you just wouldn't have thought of them yeah. like um like how they pay the cleaners and yeah. the argument was that they're paying the cleaners to take this one set of bins so they can't right. so so it was really yeah it was really hard but that's something really good um I think it is quite surprising how many people don't kind of either don't know or just don't put recycling in the right place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're working on that. And then other than that, we're going to be trying um eradicating beef and lamb from the school menu, which is wow. really exciting.
0: And that's somebody mentioned that on um you very kindly let me eavesdrop in on your um earlier call and is there a specific project I can't remember what it was called about reducing red meat in schools
4: yes it's called the um it's called zero beef okay so it's yeah I think there are different ambassadors and like seminars about it and like resources as well about facts to do with the carbon footprint of meat yeah I
0: think schools, I get the impression that sometimes schools are a bit afraid of doing things like either like Meat Free Monday or, you know, um, introducing much more plant-based options and things because they fear a kind of pushback from parents in a kind of how dare you dictate, you know, to my child what they eat. Have you um, sort of had any of that from either students or parents or has everybody been generally quite supportive?
4: Um, I think it's hard to tell at the moment because we haven't. Uh, kind of done enough to Mm. know about it but my parents are both teachers and they say that yeah there are lots of issues like um for example the link to eating disorders
0: right yeah
4: and things like that but um talking to students I think everyone wants to make an effort and there's definitely a big emphasis on like you don't have to be completely vegetarian or vegan just like reducing and making a bit of a difference and and yeah I think they're generally very open to different ideas.
0: Mm, there was a really interesting article I think it was in the Guardian either this week or last week talking about the fact that when you put a bit more information on a menu that people will then make better or more sustainable food choices and I know um, at COP they had didn't they have the carbon footprint of, of things on the menu well did you I wonder if that kind of thing would be I mean it would be a huge um, project for somebody to take on to sort of carbon footprint to a- every dish that's served. But I wonder if that kind of information would encourage uh, a discussion and be better decisions. Have you ever thought of anything like that?
5: No, I think that could be really, really useful. I think kind of at cop there was like the actual like amount of carbon mm. in the midst, and That was really useful because you could literally see the difference between the yes. salad and the sandwich. Um, but I think perhaps it, do- it doesn't need to be that, Bad, but it's like even traffic light
0: sort of system or something, couldn't you? Yeah, you have
5: like the three chilies on your Indian. Yes, it's just you need something a bit like that to say this is really bad for the planet. This isn't very for the planet, and it's just it's about nudging people away from eating the thing that's really bad for the planet. And if if they're confronted with it as they choose what they're eating, they're more likely to actively think about it. If if they're aware that beef is bad for the planet, but they're they're at the counter of the school canteen and it's between spaghetti bolognese or something vegetarian yes they're probably not thinking oh but I know beef isn't great Mm. for the planet they're probably thinking that looks nicer yes it is about making people think personally I think the main obstacle in terms of phasing out beef and phasing out some meat from school canteens is more the media than parents and I think it my my fear would be that certain newspapers would wish to capitalize on that and say they're taking away our meat yes and I I, I think that would be the biggest problem
0: yeah Archie you were saying that your school does a lot around um sort of litter and things like that I did a a litter pick uh, it was like 200 meters outside our local secondary school the other day because I'd, I'd been running past it every week and been like oh god I need to come and do a litter pick and and I always feel really bad because people are like oh young people just don't care and um, and I'm sure they're no worse than adults. And if you had 1,500 adults leaving a place um, every afternoon, there would be a similar amount of rubbish. But what are the kinds of things that that kind of help, I guess, young people to think about maybe not littering and that kind of thing? Have you found anything that works really well?
2: Well, so we've got this blue coat team. So they're like lunchtime supervisors and they go around. Every member of staff is a litter picker and they're constantly picking up litter. right. One of the new things I started to notice with teachers is they're getting tired of kids literally walking up to them and dropping it right in front of them. No way. So um teachers are now basically they can basically ask them to put it in the bin. Mm. If not, they have get it, not excluded, but it sanctioned. There's a
0: sanction, yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. But another thing we found is probably every every corner you go around our school, there's two there's two bins at least. Right. Several waste and a recycling bin yeah and they're, they're them everywhere and then just outside you've got a small shop and there's constantly the head teacher and senior leadership out there making sure people are just being courteous to our community and mm. just up the mess that they only after school outside the shop yeah
1: yeah
0: someone suggested that to me on twitter that it, it's it's rather than I mean, I remember having to do like a, a weekly or a fortnightly litter pick at school. And in, in no way did it help me join the dots up between kind of, you know, littering and um, pollution or danger, um, you know, um, impact on wildlife or anything like that. But that there's something around that sense of, of belonging, of caring for a place and that kind of thing. And I guess it's 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 kind of deeper than just littering, isn't it? It's um, yeah, I thought it was quite interesting kind of take on it
2: yeah it's it's a lot of the after effects as well of just dropping a piece of litter but it can that's all you think but after it just goes ever and ever and ever
0: yeah and all the um I picked up loads of face masks you know single use face masks and obviously I'm sure we've probably all seen videos of them you know hooked around birds necks and things like that and um it is quite depressing isn't it will talk to us about COP26 then that must have been massively exciting
5: it was incredibly exciting. It was, um, looking back, actually, I don't know how we managed to do everything we did in the two and a half days we were actually there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we had meetings with all sorts of very exciting people, um, had lots of really good conversations. Our big thing was that we had our stand in the green zone, but we were also meeting uh, with, like, uh, educators. So we met with Kevin Courtney, who is the, I think, is the co-chair of the National Education Union. Jess is nodding, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Um, And he, that was really interesting talking about um, what the education unions and what the kind of teachers unions think about integrating climate change into the, Mm. that, that was a really interesting conversation we had. We met with Nizreen El-Same, who is the chairwoman of the UN Youth Advisory Panel on Climate Change. So very big in the Mm. kind of youth activism, youth acknowledgement space. And we talked to her about engaging young people in the process, Mm. um, that was really, really interesting. Um, and then we also met with uh, Lord Goldsmith, who was talking to us about, um, about kind of sustainability and reforestation in South America, which was really interesting. All very different and all yeah. of it. Yeah. But it was just really, really interesting. We also um, met with, so some, some people met with the education minister, Nadim Tahawi. Yeah. Although they helped to open a new classroom, a new sustainable classroom which looked really nice um amazing. lots of wood and lots of sustainable materials yeah and they also met him um oh well, since then we've been looking at the um draft education strategy and then we also very briefly met alok sharma which was very exciting yeah so at our stand
0: amazing what an opportunity and what an experience and jess you
1: you kind of chaperoned them all around that did you i was the bag carrier yeah <laughs> So I got sort of chewed to the back of the room to, with, with the bags and the coats. Um, but yeah, it was. I, I also like Will. I can't. I don't know how we did it. Yeah. I don't know how we did it. So there were over twenty teenagers who'd never met in person. We did a lot of training beforehand on Zoom about the Green Zone stand mm. and about climate anxiety, but they'd never met in, per- in person. And we stayed in the brilliant Glasgow Youth Hostel and everyone Amazing. got so well and from all these different regions, yeah, yeah. different regions. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And, yeah, all these opportunities, all these people we got to meet um, and students speaking on panels as well. Mm. That we live streamed. Yeah. And, and it's I think um, they've been they've done quite a lot of media interviews and uh about the experience so so and doing school assemblies about it so it's had a sort of effect beyond just going there yeah Um, and now we're inputting into the department for education consultation and and as well so I'm I'm really hoping it will mean that we can really get these young people's voices heard yeah
3: that's
1: one of the most
0: um sort of meeting these young people and and sort of hearing this is you know it isn't just about the work that they're doing in their schools and the eco committees and things this is actually the work that you guys are doing is impacting on government policy and department for education strategy and all that kind of thing which is just massive isn't it that that you guys are having this voice and are being heard and are being listened to so i just think that's absolutely phenomenal archie what would you love to see happening in schools
2: um, I'd love to see more awareness of what's going on because mm-hmm. lots of people that, say, necessarily don't follow the news or aren't able to come to clubs after school
1: mm-hmm. don't understand
2: what's going on.
1: Yeah.
2: I'd love it if there was more sort of advertisement on social media, more letters going home, or via email. Yeah. So we can get more word out about it mm. and how to, I suppose, help.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's one of the, the key things you know well you were saying that you had this sort of introduced into your PSHE curriculum is that when it's um an eco club or an eco committee you get the people coming along who would be interested anyway and the people who aren't either aren't interested or don't know enough sort of think oh well those people over there are dealing with it they're fixing that I don't need to worry about that or that's for them to do with um you know and and actually I think that's the importance of getting it integrated and talked about across the curriculum, isn't it? And so that everybody's involved in what's your, you know, if if you could wave a magic wand will, what would you what would you be doing with the curriculums in schools?
5: I think I'd be having it so that kind of every single child, from the point when they enter the education system where they're four or five and they're going through primary school, all the way up to sixth form, where they're studying for A levels or T levels or B text or whatever it be, they have this constant integration but Mm. also a constant um, separate lessons on climate change and I think PSHE is a really really good way to have a separate way of addressing climate change that not only tells you about the facts like we do in geography where we learn about Mm. changing uh, weather patterns and isn't just about like acid rain in chemistry it's about what is happening but also what people are doing and what young people can do and what things like the UNFCCC yes. are doing and what that is, because yeah. that, that's a big word and it was in the news lots. But most people don't know what that stands for. Most people don't even know, really know what COP was.
0: So tell us what UNF... So for everyone listening thinking, crap, I don't know what UNFCC stands for, tell us, tell us what it means. Are so you on the spot
5: now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, United Nations Framework Convention for Climate Change.
0: Amazing. Well done. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, really looking to have that um sort of broad integration of, of climate across everything, and also, I mean, I guess it's really important, isn't it, that we not only let people know what the what the problem is, but what the solutions can be, and how to be part of that as well. That's that's. I mean, that must really feed into those issues around climate anxiety and things that that you were talking about.
5: Yeah, exactly.
0: Camille, if anybody's listening, and I think I said to you guys before I hit record that probably. We're more likely to have sort of parents of young people listening than young people listening. But if anybody's listening and they've got a young person who wants to to get involved, but there's not much going on at their school, or they're a teacher and they're thinking how they can support young people within their school, have you got any advice for people?
4: So I definitely think for adults, it's really important to not like underestimate the kind of power of young people and just how many ideas they can have if like given the resources. And then for I mean, for anyone wanting to start and kind of not knowing where to start, it's important to talk to other people because um, obviously you can't do everything yourself. Mm. So definitely like sharing ideas and resources and just focusing on one small project and trying to grow that first rather than taking on too much and trying to tackle every single area in your school, just focusing on one area and then Talking to someone else who can focus on another area, so breaking it down, so it's not really overwhelming. Like the kind of
0: yeah issue
4: of climate change is yeah.
0: Now that's brilliant advice, and, I, and that's you know exactly what what I say when I'm talking to um, to my audience as well. Is you know you could think, oh god, you learn all this stuff, and you're like, oh, I need to sort out my diet, and I need to sort out clothes, and I need to start this. And it's actually, let's just pick one thing and do and do that, and then that gives you the momentum, doesn't it, to to go on and and do some other things. My anything to to add to that in terms of sort of encouraging or empowering or facilitating people getting involved
3: i think definitely just telling them the small things that they can do because it doesn't have to be really big yes you can just start small because everybody's got a lot going on mm. and you don't need to take on this huge massive challenge but definitely the small the smallest things that you can do definitely make a big difference
0: oh thank you so much guys you're absolutely um, I am in awe of you, as I said. I, I was in no way as articulate, mature, um, engaged when I was your age. And, you know, I'm so pleased that we've got, you know, young people like you um making their voices heard and that you're being given the opportunities to do that. So thank you so much, and thank you so much for your time. I will let you guys all disappear. Jess, are you happy just to hang on for five minutes just to um say a little bit more about the network and things? But thank you so much guys, you're all brilliant, and I'll let you know when this is um coming out. Thank you for your time.
5: Thank you well, very
0: much. Well done, Thank you so much. Yeah, well Thank done. You. You're all brilliant. Brilliant
1: ambassadors. Great team.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: Jess, what a what an honour to be working with these young people. I know. I know. I'm I sort of. I'm always awestruck, and I'm like, I really have not much more to contribute, really. <laughs> so, so I just bring them together. Yeah. And, and yeah. Off, you know, but but like you were saying, at the same time they shouldn't be thinking this is all down to yeah. them. And, and this we've been talking about this with the Department of Education and climate strategy, because I sit on this user group. Um we've got various people on different w- working groups and saying that student led cannot be um code for let them do it, mm. let them worry about mm. it, let mm-hmm. them fix this. Cause it's extraordinarily complicated. Yes. And difficult and they should be doing other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know. We, we we're more to blame, yeah. So I think I think it needs to be collaboration, and enabling, empowering that sort yes. of thing rather than uh, an an excuse for washing your hands of it and saying, oh well, we're giving them opportunities.
0: Yeah, and just I think that's that's the frustration I've had a little bit is that oh well we're not hearing from the students that it's an issue for them and and kind of saying well are you giving them the opportunities to say that it's an issue for them? Are you? um also I kind of feel like. We're at a point where this is a moral obligation to to be educating our young people about this and to be empowering them to to know what you know what the answers are and what their their role is in that i and I know my Twitter feed is completely biased but um and yours probably is exactly the same, but it certainly does seem to be something that is part of the conversation within the education profession now you know i've seen some articles from the um times educational supplement and things like that so it it kind of feels like it is reaching into mainstream education is that right
1: um so well <laughs> no <laughs> yes and no i think obviously we are engaging with young people who are you know self-selected and mm. and schools where there is someone there either at, you know head or governor level or um a really hard working teacher or mm-hmm. on or, or um operations staff who who gets it and feels obliged to take it on mm-hmm. so we're 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 also in an eco echo chamber yes That's yeah my little phrase I, so i think at this past year or two maybe so partly because of you know greta and the mm-hmm. Fridays for future and the strikes has definitely put it up the agenda of schools being aware mm-hmm. and then i think the past year the combination of cop26 yes and the fact it was in the UK, mm. and there was much more media coverage than before, mm, and mm. a lot of people now know what COP26 is. Mm. Then there's there's also campaigns going on like Let's Go Zero, yes, which is run by Ashton, and they've got I think over a thousand schools now.
0: So this is a this is a campaign to support schools to become net zero by 2030. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's like a I'd say it's like a campaign to show the government that these schools have signed up to aim to go mm. carbon zero, net zero, I guess yeah. it's net zero, by 2030.
0: Yeah.
1: There's a sort of pledge.
0: So that's actually a really great action point for anybody who is involved in, yeah. in a school who's listening, is to you know not even worry about how you're going to go to net zero, but the very fact that you're signing up and getting involved with this is sending a really strong message to the, to the government that, look, there's 1,000 schools, 2,000 schools, 5,000 schools signed up to this.
1: Yeah, completely. And also, the good thing about Let's Go Zero is it has to be a member of senior management, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who has to sort of send in the form, mm. and then that in combination with eco schools. And I think you had Leon. Yes. Um, before, so and I'd say eco schools is probably more an eco coordinator mm-hmm. if there is one, and students. So yes. I think a school to commit to those two things yes. is a pretty good indication that they're committed Mm. and that they've got enough interest like across the staff across the school and then i think in combination with and then there's all sorts of charities and organizations and the and the unions Mm. as well with with resources and groups and networks i think there's something for everybody to join yes join in with and then now, I think Department for Education. There is now a sustainability unit. This is a big deal. You wow. know, there's never been that before. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I used to um, work with the students on the Teach the Future campaign.
0: Mm, yes,
1: which is they've managed to get. So it's been going for about two years, and they managed to now get a bill, a ten-minute rule bill. That's um, right. Nadia Whitam, uh, the youngest MP. I think she's only twenty-five or something. Seconding anyway, she she's like responsible for it, and they've supposed to have a second reading but it got delayed anyway and so so, this is this is a bill that would
0: um make it i'm I'm not going to phrase this right but that that climate education has to be incorporated
1: yeah so um for the past two years teach the future were trying to get meetings with um gavin williamson and Mm. never got one and sort of passed 15 times now we're at this point where department of education has a sustainability unit Mm. it's Putting civil servants in place yes, yeah. um, to to work on this, so that's a massive achievement. So I think things are sort of coming together at the same time around mm. now. and I think there is much more commitment to have young people on panels and working groups and things. I think we've got to be really careful with youth washing, which yes, you know, you could see there's a there's a definitely a danger of so a combination of greenwashing and youth washing
0: so the youth washing would be the idea that you just sort of stick a young person on a panel to say we've listened to them and actually you're not listening to them in any way shape or form
1: yeah or you're not sort of acting on it or it's just yeah. a one-off thing and yeah but I think that these but I'm I'm seeing with DEFRA and Department of Education there is definitely a concerted effort to have regular meetings and mm. treat them res- with respect and properly listen so that's that's big and then there's other, there's a few other things. So Lord Jim Knight, who was a minister for schools, has also tabled a bill starting in the House of Lords on like sustainability and education. Right. So I think all those things are telling schools and multi academy trusts, local authorities, mm. that that this is serious now, mm. and things might start coming in in the dreaded Ofsted. Yes. Hall, yeah. Of which it was in. Um, it was in I don't know how long ago but and I have got the evidence that there was sustainability oh, in really? the past yeah or or that it needs to be on your risk register or and then the other interesting thing is we've we've uh, a friend of UKSSN is Kit Rackley.
0: I was going to say they, they do a lot of work around this idea of, of climate education almost as a safeguarding issue.
1: Yes exactly yeah and I think that's got a lot of traction I mean the students today were, were just now talking about the mental health implications mm. that. You know, eco anxiety, and Clover Hogan's done a lot of work to get that. You know, uh, and and mental health awareness is much greater anyway. So I'm feeling quite hopeful, but right now it's pretty piecemeal. Yes, and and there's a real danger that teachers who are full time teaching whatever, any subject, you know, they could. We've got in our networks, we've got like. Um, the staff are from all o- all over different parts of schools. Mm. That they were, uh, they're doing this prim- mostly, nearly all on the side. Yeah, yeah. Out of sort of guilt or conscience, yeah. or it can't be, it can't remain like that. It's too big.
0: It feels. I mean, it, it does genuinely feel like every, and and I saw um, Meryl, who I think is she, Dockey B, on Twitter. She she was, you know, saying, look, every school needs a paid sustainability lead, you know, in the mm-hmm. same way that you would have a safeguarding lead or, you know, a Senko person that's in addition, you know, and, and is paid additionally, I think, is it, in addition to their sort of normal teaching role and that that we need to be yeah. um, you know, providing people with the time to do this as well because oh, it's yeah. it's a full-time job.
1: When we've done, like, Twitter polls and just random polls, it's always time rather than mm. money. Yes. Rather than an additional allowance that doesn't give you any time. It's yes. It's time because it requires a lot of headspace and mm. you're dealing with potentially quite a lot of students. And, yes. And also you might, you're probably not going to be up on carbon audits. and no. That sort of thing. So we've got an operations group we just set up, actually, UKSSN, which has got quite a big membership already of, like, senior so like school business leaders oh, okay yeah yeah uh, who were responsible for you know energy and the mm. grounds and all, all that catering and stuff and there's a lot of them have now come together to, to 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 represent themselves to the dfe yeah so yeah we need we need we need it all, all of, we need it in every so i think you need it it's, it's the head's responsibility um yeah. member of smt um governor and then everybody's responsibility depending on what their role is yes to to address it
0: yeah 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 I wonder if some of the the reluctance or the pushback sometimes from say heads or senior leadership team comes from this place of well I've got no idea about this Mm -hmm. so how can I possibly say Yes, this is something we're really going to push forwards when I don't know and I don't know how to do a carbon footprint of the school and I wouldn't know where to start. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I wonder if there is an element of that coming into it as well.
1: Yes. And actually, I'm talking to the carbon literacy. Yes, I'm doing carbon literacy training at the moment. And I was was going to talk to you off off camera about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I've got... I want to talk to them about... And we sort of started an initial discussion and someone else was doing training, I think, in our networks. In Leicester, they're, they're
0: doing quite a lot, I think.
1: are they? Yeah, yeah about having that for mm. teachers and staff. Well, all staff, sorry. And potentially something bespoke for student, yes. school. I don't think there's anything for school people. No. Moment. Um, so, yeah, I think... So, yes, it's definitely people who who are scared not yeah. I mean scared of the issue probably but scared of how to deal with it yes then that's yeah. where it needs to be learning together there's so many opportunities on the teaching side with this mm. um so I teach a year 12 optional course on business and sustainability oh, Amazing, and it's quite fun like it's quite hands-on we do a bit of theory then the students come up with their own case studies and like try to treat it in a business-like way yeah and then we have school staff come in and kind of critique their proposals nice. and talk about them together mm. like i think cami was mentioning like she now knows how difficult it is to change yes. the bins i know who
0: would have you just think we well, just change the bins and then actually yeah. i've been in conversations and it's like no it's really not that easy
1: yeah, <laughs> really. yeah. and it affects other people's jobs and i think yes. i think that's really important for the students to know to hear that from yes. a catering manager or mm. A cleaner you know the impl- implications do it work yeah. on it together
0: and so in terms of the um the network so I, I i'm in wiltshire and as far as i'm aware there's there isn't a wiltshire network oh, so no,
1: you're a gap yeah yeah gap.
0: so, so you know if people,
1: sort that out <laughs>
0: yeah if people are listening and they're they're in an area where there is already a network presumably it's fairly straightforward to to apply to join it and and to get on with it um, if they're if they're in an area where there isn't a network, what what can they do? Can they come and jump on board with another one to start with? Or
1: so I mean, the whole thing is quite organic, and, and it, they're all grassroots. So mm. all the regional networks—they're at different stages of like when they got set up, how they're run, whether it's—it's it's nearly all teachers doing this in right. their spare yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big job. So I'm I'm bringing everybody together like an umbrella. Mm. So we've, we've got a website, so, um, I can, I, you have I'll link to sh- that in the show notes here. Yeah. 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 So you, you can there see some of the existing networks. So that would, so then people can join mm. one of those. So obviously it's, it's for students to come together, but every student needs really to have an accompanying teacher because it's right. all school based. And so it's like safeguarding's all sure. working in terms of new networks. I mean, it's, it's been very ad hoc. So and for some reason, we seem to have had quite a good reach, which tells me that there's someone in every school
4: mm.
1: or every school community yes. um, who wants to join up with others. Yeah, this is all about stronger together, not being on your own. Sure. Um, like like the students take like sharing resources, ideas, and and it's a lot of it sort of for emotional reasons. So so in terms of Wiltshire for example it would be about seeing if there's a teacher who might be an eco-coordinator or well, there mm. might be like a head or a deputy head who thinks this would be a great flagship thing for yeah, our school yeah, yeah, yeah. to be a hub for mm. um and then probably just start with two or three schools to bring them. this is they they're secondary but there's nothing to stop a group of primaries right. we're at primaries and
0: and the students at the moment, is it just the students who are the reps who are all, is it year nine and above? Can, can a student of any secondary age join?
1: So each regional network can, can, be, can run kind of how it, right. how it looks. Um, so the Somerset network that Archie was talking about, most mm-hmm. of the schools in that, um, I believe don't have sick forms.
0: Right. Oh, yes. It's depends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. Yeah, So they might be slightly younger. Yeah. And then some other networks, they might be sick formers, but they'll, they might have younger students observing. Oh, okay. Can't now and again. Yeah. We don't really have any that are year seven and eight, mm. not many year nine. So it's more that sort of GCSE A level. Because yeah. they got to, they've got to have enough confidence and yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of organize and the safeguarding is, more straightforward yes. obviously with older students yeah um so all the students who came to COP were all sixth formers uh but then we did have younger ones who were helping behind the scenes so yeah. Cammy was one of those who was doing rem- like working remotely
0: amazing
1: to, to still be involved
0: oh god I mean just the thought of taking a bunch of sixth formers to up to Glasgow staying in a youth hostel just,
1: just <laughs> fills me with
0: fear and we had lots of staff, <laughs> but they all seemed such a mature um, bunch. Do you know what I mean? I think they were, um, they were, yeah.
1: they were phenomenal. I mean, it was quite a risk yes. to do, you yeah. know, but it was extraordinary. Yeah, and they, you know, they didn't have much sleep because we were up really early. I mean, some of them had to get up at like four thirty eight to do. Well, and to do it, they did a good Good Morning Britain. Oh my goodness! Just came out of the blue because stuff. Once we got there, other yes. stuff came came up and so they did that and then they had to go and run this stall at the green zone Amazing. the whole day and then alok sharma turned up and and then they had to get up the next day and yeah 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 <laughs> um, oh and go to school on the monday so gosh
0: yeah um i mean i think it's absolutely phenomenal that global action plan have sort of created this i guess they've kind of created a role for you and 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 that, that this exists because i think it's so needed isn't it to to be able to as you said, everything's so piecemeal, and to be able to bring everybody together. And so, I guess if we have anyone with a pot of money listening who would like to be funding um this going forwards, then obviously please do get in touch with with Jess and Global Action Plan and UK Sustainability Network.
1: Yeah, I'm funded by I Will, which comes from the lottery. Oh, okay. But but we're it's the regional networks that need support. Yeah. Um, so particularly for those staff coordinators mm. to, to try and give them time yeah. to do it. And then, so for COP26, we were funded by the Royal Society of Chemistry. Oh, amazing. For the actual sort of expenses of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. So that was great. Um, and then, yeah, so we're looking for sort of support for specific projects mm. and then much more ongoing. And it needs to be long term. Yeah. Because obviously you've got a cohort of students and you don't you need continuity yes year to year and we and we need to get more involved like there's this George Monbiot is publicizing the 25% mobilization and that's the sort of tipping point so we've we've got that in our head at the moment
0: I'll post a link to that video in in the show notes it's a great one by George Monbiot who's um, Guardian journalist isn't he and he talks about this you know, we're very used to talking about climate tipping points and things. But he talks about this idea that if um, 25% of of a population are doing something or talking about something, it kind of becomes the norm. And then that's where you reach this tipping point. And I think that's so um, easy to see, even with just with something, you know, that we're all familiar with, like mask wearing, isn't it? If you go to an event and no one else is wearing a mask, you'll kind of quite sheepishly take yours off. But if, if the reverse was you know, no matter, I, you know, I sort of think, well, I'm quite happy to wear a mask wherever I am. But if I go and nobody else is, I'll be like, oh, I don't know, maybe yeah. we should take it off. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? That almost that peer pressure.
1: Exactly. The analogy. Yeah, I was using just the other day. And I think because these students, they're all from uh, not just different regions, but different backgrounds, different school types, yes. gender, um, ethnicity. And they're all studying different subjects as well. So you've got some doing arts, humanities, some doing yes. science so it is starting to become normalized yeah. in terms of who's talking about this and that you know they're very articulate and persuasive so I'm um, I'm quite optimistic and and actually we had we had George Monbiot and um, give him come to speak to us after cop because wow some of the students bumped into him at the train station <laughs> in Glasgow and yeah and um so yeah he's he everyone's a bit in love with him and then we've got Kate Rayworth.
0: Yes, I really want to get her on the podcast. Yeah, you're so yeah, lucky to have her come and talk to you.
1: Yeah, so um and it's just brilliant that these these amazing thinkers want to come and yes. to, to the students. That's really inspiring, I think.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, yes, thank you so much and thank you for your time as well because you've had a long
0: day and then been on Zoom with the with the young people and and then on this as well um so thank you so much for your time and thank you for everything that you're doing i think it's absolutely um brilliant and if anybody wants to um i love following you on twitter as well so can you just share your twitter handle with everybody uh
1: yes i'm gonna have to check uh, for ukssn it's at uk schools Susti. brilliant that's on twitter and instagram uh let me
0: find you on twitter dr jessie underscore eco. yeah brilliant